You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because we all deserve to feel at home in our bodies. Welcome to this week's episode of Move With Radiance. I'm your host, Stephanie, and thank you so much for being here. I, I've been having an interesting week. <laughs> um, there's just a lot of things that I am preparing to do that sort of scares the shit out of me, to be completely honest. And it's all great, you know, all really, really good things, but um, it's just some of those steps in life and steps in, in my business that require a lot of positive, positive self-talk and a lot of, um, I guess, exploring a little bit just in terms of where is this coming from and having to do a lot of comforting internally. <laughs> um, I... I talked about this on on Instagram a few weeks ago, but something I've recently discovered about myself is um, I've for for most of my life I had a negative relationship to failure, and I had this like definition in my mind of what failure meant and what it meant like in in regards to my self worth and as me like to me as a human. And so over the past few years, I've really been working on changing that relationship and um, coming up with a new definition to what failure means and that it's not this end-all, be-all determined, like it doesn't determine my worth or, you know, if I'm a good or bad person or anything like that. However, a friend helped me realize a few weeks ago that while sure, you know, I may have changed that relationship to failure, but it, when it when it comes to like taking big risks in my life, I tend to lean on the side of more calculated risk. And there's some deep fears around failure and what it means to me in terms of my in terms of looking stupid or being stupid, and that all stems back to my worth. Um, and I've just learned that over the years for me. And so I still have these deep fears around looking stupid. And so when I'm putting, I tend to, you know, with podcasting or, um, you know, Instagram stories or posts, you know, I can, I can edit those things. Right. So like if, if I mess up, I can start over or I can fix it so that, you know, it's, I'm not like messing up live. (laughs) And so there's just some things coming up where, I'm putting myself out there in a way that like I could mess up and I could do it in front of a large amount of people. And so really just changing my relationship to what that means. And, um, you know, it is scary. It's, it's scary to put yourself out there in a way and really, and really work with your fears and, 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 um, work on, you know, the worthiness wound and all of those things that come up with that. But, um, it is, it's really cool when you're able to move through those things and really take big steps in your life. And those big steps, you know, just lead you to bigger and better things in terms of living the life that you feel super aligned with who you really are and where you want to be. So just sharing that with you all that, you know, I'm also constantly working through things and to, you know, if something 
if, if there's something that you're being called to in life that feels scary and those fears come up, I encourage you to really dig a little bit deeper and understand, you know, what those fears are saying and how you can still make steps forward, working with the fears, being loving to all things that come up and push through because there's just, again, getting to where we want to be in life sometimes takes change and sometimes takes, you know, walking through some of those more difficult things. So just keep going. (laughs) I, with kind of with that, I, um, I'm doing some Instagram lives coming up in this next month and I'm going to do a series of probably four, um, like 10 to 15 minute face or Instagram lives. Um, and I'm probably going to dig into the concept of fear along with a few other things. I haven't quite figured that out yet. So be on the lookout for that announcement. I'll, of course, um, announce it on here um, in the next few weeks and, and just let you know what's going on. But I, I'll have more information on on the Instagram <laughs> around when that is and when you can expect it. One more piece of house, housekeeping info I wanted to share with you all before we dive into this week's episode is, I know I've mentioned this a few times in some previous episodes, but I have that Facebook, um, the Body Acceptance Facebook group that I've launched. It's private. Um, we have a lot of conversations going on over there just you know, around supporting one another and helping each other through our own personal journeys. I've been um, lining up some activities that sort of dive a little bit deeper from these podcast episodes just to give you a little bit more support and just some activities to really help you on your own journey and just dig a little bit deeper. So if you want to join us over there, the link for that is in the show notes. You can just request to join and uh, we'll be excited to have you. So with that, I am really excited to bring you this week's episode, which is our first guest episode of season two. It's kind of funny. I've, I recorded these episodes, you know, months ago and just re-listening to them. It's cool to even see how I've grown from then till now. Um, that was, I was sort of just starting out my hungry for happiness certification program at that time. And just how much deeper we've gotten, (laughs) how much more deeper we've gotten over the last few months is crazy. So it's kind of fun to see that growth, but I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. I love Naomi and everything she stands for. And we dive into some really, um, good needed topics. And it just sparked my thought process of just digging into those things a little bit more, just because we covered so many of those those um, kind of deeper topics. But this particular episode, we go into, um, you know, how she talks about her own experience with binge eating, but, and how, how she sort of went from binge eating to getting to a place of body acceptance and sort of out of that diet culture mentality. We also go through, you know, why she doesn't think we need to love our bodies all of the time in order to recover, how much time and brain space diet culture steals from us, self-care and how we can expand the definition of self-care, how binge eating and emotional eating is sort of demonized in diet culture and how we can start removing the shame around eating, how to be curious around our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings, rather than judging them. We go into a little bit around thin privilege and fat phobia and so much more. And something I wanted to just re-highlight, you know, we talk about binge eating on this episode and how just when, when we're going through recovery from either disordered eating where maybe binging was a part of the cycle, just to remember that this is something that we have 
done as a coping mechanism for so many years, whether that was out of a calorie deficiency where binging was our body's way of getting the the calories that we needed, um, or binging being a way to numb or suppress or just not deal with something. And so knowing that, that it's, it's something that we naturally have turned to for so many years, it's probably going to happen again. I know that I've been on my recovery for several years and I still sometimes binge, but I think the important thing to remember here is we have to look at everything we do with compassion and knowing that, you know, okay, I binged. Why did I binge? Was I not, did I not eat enough today? Or am I trying to suppress or numb something? And just knowing that, it's okay to not shame ourselves for the binge or for turning to food, just to be compassionate with ourselves because we cannot shame our way into healing. Healing comes from compassion, curiosity, and love. And when we send shame to parts of us internally, we are creating more disconnection within ourselves. And I think the number one thing that we crave as humans is connection. And so one way that we can start getting that connection is within ourselves. And so if we are um, shaming ourselves for things that we've either done or have um, have done in the past, um, or whatever that is, just know that it's creating more disconnection. And so, when something within us is hurting, the best way to heal that part of us is to send love there. So. I just wanted to call that out because I feel that that's super, super important. And we talk about that a little bit in this episode, but again, I just, (laughs) I really wanted to highlight that. So yeah, (laughs) with that, let me tell you a little bit more about Naomi before we dive into this episode. Naomi is a former marathoner and diet culture dropout who chronicles her experiences with eating disorders, exercise addiction, dieting, and binge eating on her Insta blog at Diet Culture Sex. She is passionate about body positivity and health at every size and writes to share the things she wishes she learned as a young girl struggling to recover in a culture that validates disordered behaviors as normal aspects of being a woman. I hope you enjoy this conversation and here is Naomi. Okay, Naomi, welcome. Did, what did, did I say? <laughs> did I, I was like, you know how when you say a word, you're like, did I say that right? I thought I said Nelcom. Did I say Nelcom? Oh. Did I say welcome? <laughs> welcome. You're so good. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you reached out to me and I, I was really glad like once we started talking that you did and I'm excited to have this conversation today. Um, why don't we first start off by you giving us a little bit of your background and telling us a little bit about yourself and, um, we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I reached out to you on Instagram. Um, there are some people that I follow in the body positive world, world of intuitive movement, intuitive eating, um, that I knew had been on your podcast and I listened to the episodes and I really liked those. So I just wanted to reach out and, um, see if I could have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about my story and, and where I came from with my account. Um, so I'm 22, I'm a senior in college and my account is basically me documenting my own experiences with eating disorder, recovery, exercise addiction, binge eating, and kind of what I've learned along the way in dealing with those kinds of things. I had a very roundabout um, 
experience kind of dealing with these things. I was never in formal treatment. And a lot of my recovery was kind of me bouncing between um, or a lot of the process for me that got me to where I am today was me bouncing from an eating disorder to then kind of recovering, but then going back into various diets and struggling with exercise addiction the whole time and binge eating. And so it was this very this confusing and amalgamation of things that I couldn't really figure out. Um, and as my life, as I got older, I was able to push it to the side to some extent, or it wasn't as big of an issue as it had been in the past, but there were things that I never really figured out. It was always like, you know, I have this problem and I kind of know I have this problem, but I don't really know why or how to fix it. And that all really changed for me when I discovered body positivity. And that for me was at first through Instagram accounts, um, the big ones like Body Positive Pandas, Garnet Scared, um, and other things. And I started kind of just doing a deep dive into those Instagram accounts. And then I was like, okay, you know, I'm getting the names of books and getting the names of podcasts. And I started really reading and listening and, and really kind of developing this framework in which I could place the experiences I'd had. And that to me was just huge. It was life-changing really, because this whole time I had viewed my eating disorder and my issues with food as a me problem. And I knew other people had eating disorders, you know, but I didn't, I didn't connect the experiences I had to a larger cultural phenomenon. And so I just thought it was, they were my problems that I had to figure out and I didn't know why I had them and learning about diet culture and fat phobia, and of course, body positivity, the movement to fight against and dismantle cultural fat phobia and dismantle diet culture. That to me was just this huge awakening um, to why I had these problems and why it had been so hard for me to recover. Um, because so part of it was I'd never gone through formal treatment, but even if you had, I mean, we have this world that you know, when you have an eating disorder, that crosses a line. But the line is really hard to see because in our culture, we promote really negative ways of thinking about food and movement and, um, and they're just normal. And so it's normal to view exercise and, um, and food as compensatory and to say things like, you know, I ate so much, I'm going to go to the gym tonight or, you know, to, you know, have calorie counters on machines, um, to have calorie counts wherever you go, um, it's, it's normal to disparage your body, to disparage your body with friends, you know, and, and those are just things that are part of our cultural fabric. That's why I talk about diet culture. And uh, because, you know, because we live in diet culture, I never really looked at it for what it was and, and called it out for what it was. And for me, it was just, it was normal. And I didn't see how that related to my own struggles. But um, by understanding the broader framework of all of this, I was able to see, you know, I developed these really negative attitudes about food because of the inputs that I was receiving from society every day. And more importantly, or just as importantly, the reason it was so hard for me to recover was because once I recovered a little bit, you know, society kind of saw me as normal and it wasn't really, no one kind of saw that as an issue anymore. No one was like, well, wait, you still have issues you know, you exercise too much or your, your mind space is still occupied by being thinner, but I kind of crossed the line just, just a few steps back into normal. 
you know, where it's still normal to be like, I want to lose weight. I'm going to try this diet. And then this diet, like I'm going to take pictures of my body progress, you know? And those were things that had I been 15 pounds lighter as I had been earlier, they would have been an eating disorder, you know, but because I gained a little weight, even though I was exhibiting the same behaviors, it was no longer treated as such. And so I was able to just kind of skate through many years of disordered behaviors that took away from my life. Um, but just thinking they were normal and thinking that I was recovered, um, because I was no longer, you know, dangerously underweight, but I had very similar behaviors. Um, and that's when I kind of realized this is a cultural problem where we don't, as a culture, we, we don't disavow eating disorder behaviors. In fact, in a lot of ways, we either turn a blind eye or just encourage them. And it's, we, if you, if you're not dangerously thin, then the eating disorder behaviors are okay, which is crazy. You know, that's crazy. And I remember when I, when I first developed an eating disorder, it was very confusing for me because I had been doing these behaviors, things like not eating bread, um, working out for two hours every day for like a solid year. And after a year or so, it was like, oh no, this is a huge problem. What are you doing? You know, and I got in trouble and it was this big thing. And I remember being like, I'm just being healthy. Like, I've been doing this for a year. The same thing, nothing changed in the last month. What changed is that I guess my weight dropped below some imaginary point. Um, but because the focus was never on my behavior, I was just very confused and I wasn't really able to recover in a behavioral sense. I was able to gain weight, but I was never really able to understand what is recovery. You know, what is the goal? Like, um, and I wasn't really able to live a fully recovered life for many years after, uh, because I think it's very hard to recover in in diet culture, in a culture that centers around a lot of really yeah detrimental ways of viewing food and movement. So yeah. that's a little bit of, bit of where I come from. Yeah, that's great. I you said a lot of things in there that um, I think is important to talk about, especially how. I mean, I think I've thought of this before, but the way you said it was just like it, how we don't, the behavior still happens, but it's, it's only when you, when you cross a line is when you're dangerously thin, but if you're maybe over overweight, I'm using air quotes here, whatever you, however you want to quantify, whatever that means. Um, or, you know, you're, you doing it to get healthy, then it's, then it's okay. So yeah, it's, the way you said that, I think, puts it into perspective. Um, so, and people in larger bodies often will have, and I've you know heard about this a lot and read about this, but people in larger bodies will have eating disorders, yeah. and they're really encouraged to continue their disordered behavior because we are okay. It's it's if you're over a certain BMI or whatever, we basically encourage weight loss at all costs, and we don't look at the behaviors. And I mean, that's just kind of crazy if you think about it, because you could have someone who's you know, a, of a certain BMI that someone's, you know, a doctor's encouraging them to lose weight and they develop a terrible eating disorder. And so they're losing weight and they're basically encouraged for, I mean, a year or however long in their really terrible behaviors, digging themselves deeper and deeper into a hole 
until finally they reach some threshold at which it's a concern. I mean, it's always been, you know, it's always been problematic. Um, Yeah. And that's kind of, that's one of the things like thin privilege, there's a lot to like unpack in there, but one of the ways that thin privilege manifests is that like my eating disorder was caught pretty early. Um, It's that when you're thin, you have an eating disorder, like it is taken seriously um, in a way that it's not, or it's just told that, you know, yeah, it's just not taken seriously or even encouraged if you're in a larger body. Yeah. Well, and then too, even if, if you don't go past the threshold, if you're continuing those behaviors, you might hit a point where then you start binging again. And I think too, we focus so much on the behaviors and the surface level stuff. We don't even get into the whole other talk about what's driving, you know, those behaviors of maybe binge eating or emotional eating or those kinds of things. It's like, I think diet culture and all of this stuff focuses so surface level so externally it just is I think it's just so it's so broken (laughs) and just so many different levels that we don't even start to tap into and so yeah when did you get to the point where you're like I know you spoke about this a little bit but maybe we could dig into it a little bit more how you realized okay I'm not fully recovered like there's still something there what kind of triggered you to start digging into these other layers to get to where you are today? Yeah. So I think that was probably sometime last year. Um, and that was a really hard thing for me. So I was kind of already digging into body positivity, you know, and, and it's easy to look at, look at people's pictures. And I mean, I'm a social justice oriented person and body positivity is a social justice movement for the equality of all bodies. And so it's very easy to like, you know, philosophically or whatever the word is, agree with that and be like, yeah, you know, we should have a world in which all bodies are recognized and celebrated and body positivity is linked to fighting racism and ableism. And so, you know, it's very easy for me to get on board with that and be like, yes, like this is totally something I believe in. This is important. And so I'm following people and I'm reading and I'm really into it. And then at some point it was, it was kind of doing that that made me realize, okay, wait, some of the stuff that they're talking about, like I haven't gotten there on my own journey yet. And that was a really hard realization because, and first of all, for me personally, I'm someone who paints things and I like to see things through, you know, rose tinted glasses. And so I paint a rosier picture of my life or where I'm at um, than it is in reality. And yeah, so that was really difficult for me to stop and have to be like, wait, you still have a lot of work to do um, because I didn't want to acknowledge that. I think I just wanted to be on board with the movement but not really address my own behaviors. But the issue is when you're still, um, when you're still with your own body trying to diet or practicing, practicing diet culture behaviors, or you haven't sorted out your own trauma, like how do you participate in that movement? Because you don't believe it enough to apply it to yourself, you know? And I think, I think it is really important. You can kind of, be there on the surface level in the movement and kind of, you know, follow and like people. But I think it's really hard to, to do the work and to be able to talk about it with other people and to explain why it's important when you can't apply it to your own life. And so that was when I was kind of like, okay, I need to take a step back and really sort through my relationship with my body. Um, I was just reading Sonia Renee Taylor's book, The Body is Not an Apology, And she kind of talks about a lot. I mean, a lot of her premise is that 
we start healing the world when we heal our relationships with our bodies, you know, and if our relationship with our bodies were different, if we were accepting and loving and I mean, it's a whole book. So she goes into a lot of stuff, but I think that's a really interesting premise. Like we have to start with ourselves and our relationship to ourselves before we can start healing the world. And I think we don't realize often how our relationships with our bodies impact those people around us. But yeah, I mean, if I'm really dissatisfied with my body and I'm, even if I'm not making comments, but I'm obviously uncomfortable in my clothes or I'm not, I don't really want to go out or something or, you know, that affects the people around me. They notice that. And I'm around kids a lot and I would never make any sort of body comments around kids, but, but many people do. And I mean, I probably, I'm sure I have at some point in my life when I wasn't aware um, of the consequences and of the issues um, with doing that. So I think I went, I don't remember exactly where we started, but um, anyway, I, I kind of realized at some point when I was getting into the body positive movement and really wanting to be on board that I had to sort through some of my own stuff. And part of that was realizing that I wasn't as recovered as I thought I was. Um, and part of that is because, you know, dieting is not the same as an eating disorder. And in our culture, an eating disorder is not okay, but a diet is fine. Whole 30 paleo, it's a lifestyle, whatever, you know, people say, um, you're not like called out as having some big issue, but learning about body positivity and diet culture, you realize that diets, quote unquote, lifestyles, all these kinds of ways of eating are, part of a system that upholds a hierarchy of bodies and that shames people based on their health. Um, and so I had to realize, okay, so that time I was doing whole 30 or that time I was trying out intermittent fasting, like that's not, that's, I can't be doing that. (laughs) Like I have to work through some of the stuff that led me to do that because that's also, um, sometimes I describe it as like digging myself out of a hole um, where it's just not a great metaphor, but roll with me. Um, where kind of the hole was at first my eating disorder. And I kind of like figured out, I dug all the stuff and I was, you know, by a couple years ago, kind of sitting on flat ground. So I thought, and then I realized the hole was a lot deeper and there was all this diet culture stuff around me where I thought I was kind of out in the clear, but it turns out I was in this bigger hole, but all these other people were in this hole with me. So I thought it was normal. Um, and that, you know, but no, there's actually this world up here where, we can get away from all of the negative talk around food and all all of the, you know, obsessive tendencies around exercise. And, you know, I'd been in this whole out of my eating disorder, but I'd been with all these other people and there were some, you know, some fake trees. And so it looked kind of real and everyone seemed fine and it seemed normal. And, And then recently it's been in the past year ish, it's been digging myself out of that hole of diet culture and kind of getting to this other level where I'm like, Oh, okay, this is, this is better. (laughs) This is different. Um, but that's hard because I think for, I could have just stayed at the whole, you know, the first one where I kind of gotten out of my eating disorder. Now I was normal, you know, and my, you know, I was normal for diet culture, um, you know, and, and other, and existing with plenty of other people who, you know, didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, but definitely, you know, were made to feel shitty about their bodies and, um, you know, who would work out after they ate something they felt bad about, you know, so, so it's, it's a whole nother task to take on to be like, yes, I could stay here, but that's not what I want for myself. You know, I want, I have a bigger vision for myself and I think I can get there. Um, but it's a lot of work. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been doing for the last year. Yeah. 
I think for people who maybe aren't familiar with what it means to like fully accept their body and to fully accept where they're at, it can be kind of confusing or like, you know, they're, they're in that spot where you were, where they're like, well, things are fine. And like, what, what kind of things did you do to turn that mindset around to where you were like, no, I do accept my body. Like, were there particular like steps or like certain internal things that you had to work on in order to get to the point where you're at now, where you're starting to like get out of that next layer, you know? Yeah. I think, I think it's not exactly, there weren't exactly steps, but I do think it was a lot of, so the first, I guess the first thing was kind of realizing that a lot of things I thought were quote unquote normal were, were harming me. And so that's things like, um, refusing to throw away clothes that didn't fit me and buy clothes that actually fit my body. Um, refusing to wear things that I didn't think were quote unquote flattering or like things that I thought I would enjoy wearing, but you know, I just, I didn't think my body could wear them. And that was something that was hurting me. Um, feeling like I had only limited options every time I went out, you know, I could only order these things because these were the healthy options. Um, you know, that was limiting me. Um, so I think it was kind of just trying to, trying to have a really critical eye towards how I was living my life and trying to, to notice first where, um, where diet culture behaviors were limiting me and how to stop and things like, um, I don't need to spend an hour and a half at the gym. That's objectively not, you know, that's not, that's too long. (laughs) I have other stuff I need to be doing. Um, and I think, and I think reading a lot really helped me in this because it helped me feel, you know, less alone because everyone around me was still, I have to order these healthy options at the menu. Like I'm going to go to the gym for two hours. Like, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to, I mean, it's always hard, but it's hard to take on the work when everyone around you is validating the place that you used to be and saying that's normal. And something in your head is like, no, I think it could be better, <laughs> but you kind of have to go off that voice. Um, I think it was also... I, I think loving your body is, is cool. And sometimes I do have days when I really do love my body, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think what you have to do is respect your body. And what you have to do is say, like, I respect and accept the where, you know, where my body is right now. And that might lead at some point to loving your body. It might lead to appreciating your body more. Um, for me, something I kind of talk about a lot is like familiarity. It's like scientifically, you don't like things that you've never seen before. It's just, you know, adaptationally not, you know, we evolve to, to like things that we see a lot. And so if you've never looked at your stomach, if you've never looked at your cellulite, if you've never looked at parts of your body that you don't like, of course you don't like how it looks. And so for me, some of my recovery was just like sitting around in sports bra and underwear and trying to get really comfortable with what my body looked and felt like because I hadn't seen that, you know, I hadn't really felt that I tried to ignore it, even though I'd been living in this body um, for so long, I was really disconnected with what it really felt like and, um, and what it looked like. I think it's, it was, it was having a critical eye and trying to challenge anything that I felt like was, I guess the more I could, the more I kind of read, the more I was able to call out a behavior that was probably not serving me and that was upholding a hierarchy of bodies. So that was anything that, that kind of told me that I should be thinner or anything. And also calling out any sort of negative critical voices of other people, because 
you know, eating disorders are the highest form of fat phobia. And it's fat phobia directed inward. And that's not, you know, we're not bad people. We're not whatever. But like, you have to acknowledge that when you've had disordered eating, you are incredibly fat phobic. And that's hurting, I mean, that's hurt you way more than it's hurt anyone else. Um, but that is something you have to acknowledge. And I had to sit with that and say like, look, I was at like the peak of fat phobia at some point in my life. And so I have to unpack that. Like, I'm not just going to automatically be loving and accepting of all the bodies I see. Um, and so I really had to have to work. I mean, I still do have to work on, um, on look, you know, exposing myself to different, different bodies and following a lot of diverse people on, on different social media accounts and, um, yeah. And really not directing negative judgments at other people, because when you're used to directing negative judgments at yourself, you direct them at other people. I mean, it's just, you know, there's no way that someone feels so terribly about themselves and yet never judges other people. That's just not, I don't think that's really a thing. Um, so yeah, anyway, what was, what was <laughs> no, this is good. You've said a lot of things that I'm like writing down. I'm like, remember that you want to dig into that. <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that you said that I love and I want to kind of highlight a little bit more is I don't always love my body. And I think, yeah, People, when they think of this movement of body positivity and they, all these things, they think, oh, well, one day I'm just going to love my body or one day I'm just going to decide that I love my body. And I almost think that that's also, you're not digging into the, the deeper layers there. You're just kind of doing the same thing where you're just putting a bandaid on and saying, oh, I love my body. And it's almost like another way to numb what you're not, the, the deeper yeah. levels, yeah. you know? So I love what you said where it's more of just this acceptance piece. It's sitting with the parts of you that you've shunned or that you've shamed for so many years or for however long and just saying, I accept you. And one day maybe I do love all these parts, but I don't want people to think that it's this magical thing that you the flip a switch that you flip where you're like, I love my body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the other important things, which is that like, you don't have to love your body to just love your life and to live an incredible life that you're so proud of. And I mean, for me, what being accepting and respecting my body and, and saying to me, you know, weight loss or like thoughts of dieting, I'm just taking those off the table. Those are not things I'm interested in. Those are not things I'm exploring like that. Those are just not options to me. They're not options on the table. Uh, what that's done to me is just open up this space for me to live a life that I am so proud of and that I love so much more um, than the life I was living before. And I have so much, you know, I have more time to be with people and I have time to write and, you know, pursue passion projects. And I have mental energy to dedicate towards, you know, being there for my friends and towards, you know, unpacking my trauma and towards reading and, you know, being a better family member. Um, you don't realize almost how much, because these are, these are not really quantifiable things. I mean, maybe time is, is quantifiable, but things like mind space or like energy, you can't really see how much diet culture is stealing from you. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I would have told my younger self is, you know, cause I, like I said, I'm always someone who kind of views their life for the past with rose tinted glasses. And so I really thought my life was fine. You know, I didn't, especially as I let, I would, took a gap year after, um, after high school. And so as I was kind of on my own in my gap year and going into college, like I really thought I, you know, it was fine. I had it all figured out. 
Um, but I didn't realize how much the, the body hating mentality was, was stealing from me still. Um, and how much being hyper conscious of my body was preventing me from just being in a space with other people and from doing things like yoga because I was self-conscious about my body or from just wearing, I mean, I wore so many boring clothes and the same things over and over. And like, I'm not, you know, a fashionista. So I'm not, I'm not someone who's prone to just wearing crazy things. I don't, I don't shop for fun anyway, but I also really confined myself to a really limited wardrobe for many years because I really thought that only a few things looked okay on my body. The choice and um, possibilities I have now when I look at, okay, how do we, you know, when I walk into a store or when I look at my closet, you know, I'll grab like midriff tops and high-waisted shirts, just like all these things. And it's so fun. And that wasn't something that I realized I was missing um, until later. I, yeah, I think... I think it is hard to tell someone who's at that level where they don't have an eating disorder, but they're just existing in diet culture. It's hard to quantify. Trust me, you know, the, the sentiment of like, trust me, your life will be better if you free yourself from diet culture, because you can look at them and be like, my life is fine. Like I like my life. Um, but it's hard to quantify. Yes. But don't you want to be able to like walk in somewhere and eat whatever you want? Like, don't you want to be able to not feel guilty about the way that you move your body? You know, it's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify, which makes it hard for people, I think, to choose that kind of step of recovery. I think loving your body is, is great if that's somewhere that you get. And I think it's probably somewhere that you get sometimes, um, but just accepting and respecting your body and, and making peace with your body and saying, look, I'm not going to wage a war on you anymore. I'm not going to pick apart your flaws. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let you be, you know, I'm just going to try to take care of you in the best way that I know how that just opens up so much of a, just so much opportunity to, for you to just live your life. And your body is your greatest, you know, it's the vessel you live your life in. And when you're respecting it and accepting it, you're, you're just able to direct your energy towards things you really care about. And you're able to view your body as, you know, your partner. And, and it's just a, it's a, it's an incredible change of mindset that just allows, it allowed me to live my life so much more fully. Mm. Yes. I love the line that you just said with, your body being the vessel that you get to live your life in. And we spend so much time directing all of this hatred towards the very thing that keeps us alive on this earth. And I've just, yeah, I've been unpacking that a little bit more of like how that's started or just, I think if we can just get to this place of respecting this vessel, we, like you said, can create so much more space for living And I think the reason why, I think something that comes up a lot for people and maybe it's hard for them to get to that point of acceptance is because they don't feel safe in their body. They don't trust their body because for so many years, you know, they've had this battle and negative relationship with their bodies. And so I think learning how to find and reconnect with that safety and that trust within our bodies is a huge step in getting to this point where we can accept and make space for other things. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the hard journey. That's what self-care is really about too. Mm. The same thing self-care was like eating vegetables and like, and it is sleeping, but you know, <laughs> and 
working out every day, but like self-care is really about reconnecting with your body and being able to, I mean, right now I, I was thinking about this the other day, but I was like brushing my teeth and like, you know, putting on my like face wash. And I was like, this is such an important self-care routine right now for me. Like I'm exhausted. I've had a really long day, but the fact that I set aside this time to like put on my pajamas and fold my clothes and wash my face and just do these little things that help me get in this, you know, I'm ready for bed. Like I'm putting the days over here and now here I am getting ready. You know, that to me is, is self-care. And I think we need to expand the definition of self-care. Um, but I also think that I, I am so much better at taking care of myself now because I care about my body and because I, and I care about it in a way that I respect it. It's not, I care about it. I am not trying to change it, you know, but I'm, I'm really able to see what, what my body needs, you know, and I'm, and I'm able to, to really give it what it needs because I, because I'm so much more connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, I think, um, dismantling diet culture. I think um, healing your relationship with food allows you to take care of yourself really so much better. Um, and again, that's part of living your your happiest life because you're able to have this partnership with your body where you're giving it what it needs and in turn it's there for you. Um, yeah. Oh, I love, yes. <laughs> that can, I love this. It's the, if you can reframe it to look at like your body's your partner in crime. It's like, it's, it's the, like when you can create that beautiful connection, you get to that level of, okay, what do I need right now? And you're able to define what self-care means to you and really create this relationship where you and your body are working together to live your best life. And when you stop the war and stop hating your body, you can get to that point where that connection is made and you can start. It's so cool (laughs) when you can get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I think I'm so much better at, um, at just handling what life throws at me now you know, then I would have been, I think diets are a coping mechanism. I think when you come from a diet past, you look back on that and you can say, you know, that was a coping mechanism. You you know, you don't want to blame yourself or, you know, be down on yourself for having used that because so many people do. Um, but it's a coping mechanism. And at some point you don't need that coping mechanism anymore. You know, you don't need control of your food intake as a way to handle your life because you're able to face the things that were freaking you out. You're able to, um, exist in your body. I think, I think it's a coping mechanism that we use because we want to exert control and we don't know how, or we feel out of control in our own lives or, you know, and, and I think I'm just, I'm much better at, at taking care of myself now that I have, I'm able to, to compassionately look and see what my body needs. And I'm also able to have a full, you know, so I want to, I want to talk about binge eating, but um, you read my mind (laughs) in the the context of, uh, um, I think binge eating is often demonized and I will like go back and talk about um, my history with that. But for me, I think food, I mean, food is a really valid coping mechanism and diet culture demonizes eating as the worst way you could cope with your emotions. Like, you know, do 10 other things before you eat emotionally because like that's terrible. And in reality, eating something that tastes good is a way to handle, you know, is one way to feel better when you're having a bad day. 
is a perfectly valid coping mechanism. And in terms of like, what else could you be doing? Lashing out at someone, um, doing drugs, like, you know, I don't know, throwing something against a wall, like eating is a pretty benign way to cope with feelings. And the issue is when it's your only coping mechanism, you know, you don't want it to be your only coping mechanisms. I think that's where you get into trouble, but you know, it's, it can be a really valid tool in a toolkit of coping mechanisms. And because I'm now, and just to tie this back to like self-care, but because I'm now able to view eating, um, and eating something sweet or like, just like baking, even when I'm not hungry or something as a coping mechanism, you know, my toolkit's larger and I don't freak out if that's the tool that I use to draw from to soothe, you know, that's just like, Oh, okay. You know, yesterday I had a really overwhelming day. I had some ice cream it made me feel better. You know, I was happier because I had that ice cream and then, you know, I did my work and I went to bed and that was just as valid a tool for me, a coping mechanism as it would have been to go on a walk or call a friend, you know? Um, so it can't be, you know, you don't want it to be your only coping mechanism, but I think it is a perfectly valid and relatively benign coping mechanism. And in diet culture, you know, in diet culture, that's so demonized. Um, and I think that's the issue because so for a long time when I would, I would reach for food to self-soothe and because that was such a shameful, um, thing, because that was really like seen at by diet culture by myself is not, um, not, not a way that was okay to cope with emotions. I, you know, freak out and you would just eat, you know, I would binge eat as like a coping mechanism, Um, and now I'm able to kind of use food as like a way to, to self-soothe, but it's not like I freak out and have this like, you know, frenzied, crazy response and have to like eat everything. I'm able to be like, okay, what do I want? Do I want this? Do I want this? Okay. I want this. Do I want more? I don't, you know, and then just, yeah, I don't know. I might make more sense if I to go back and talk more about mentioning well, and this is, I think along these lines, I think when you become, when you have this different relationship with your body and you're becoming more aware and you're listening to yourself, you create more of a channel to understand what's driving your behaviors. And so when, you know, maybe in the past, I, I mean, I did the same thing. I, I use a lot of different things to yeah. um, cope where I used alcohol. I used, um, food. I use Netflix, like all of these things that I would use to numb and not feel. And when I created this deeper connection with my body, I started understanding like, okay, I'm reaching for this food right now. I wonder why. And it, it wasn't, I didn't create the shame around reaching for the food. It was like, it gave me this opportunity to say, okay, what, why, why am I trying to numb right now? You know, and I think when you can create that channel and remove the shame from whatever you're doing, then you can get curious from a place of, of love rather than, oh, I just binged. I'm just going to keep binging and not having this awareness and it just being a pattern that you do, you know? Yeah, I really love that. I think, I think curiosity is a great word. I think that that really does sum up the relationship that we have um, with our bodies when we're transitioning and in, in, in an intuitive space of like, I'm not judging my body for feeling anything and I'm allowed to respond in any way. But yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I will say like, I'm much more, I'm a big extrovert and I, I talk a lot during the day and I get exhausted and I'm much better able to, to 
you know, to get the signs of like, okay, I'm starting to feel really overwhelmed by everything. I'm starting to like, want to like figure out something that's not, it's three weeks away. Like these are signs that I'm exhausted. Like Mm -hmm. I just need to go to bed. Don't go to target at midnight. That's not necessary. Like just go to bed. Um, so I, you know, I've, I'm, because I'm able to, I've, I've been able to kind of curiously explore like, well, why am I creating 10 lists in my head and starting to like overwhelm myself pointly? You know, like I'm able to cue into the signs of me being just tired. And so I'm able to give myself, um, what I need more. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think getting rid of shame is really important. So I, right. I binge ate for a long time to kind of, um, to numb and to just, I think it was a, a natural response to years of restriction. I think it was very, I demonized it for sure. And, and binge, binge eating sucks. I mean, it's, it, it's not fun. Like it's terrible. <laughs> um, it is not like, this is all fine. You know, it, it takes you away from people. It, you know, consumes your mind. It means that you're, you know, leaving a dinner to go, you know, stuff food in your face in the bathroom. Like it's not, you know, it's not, it's not easy to say, I'm just going to make peace with this, that this is happening right now. Um, and so I kept wanting to restrict afterwards or I kept, you know, it was just, it was a lot of shame. And then the shame of course led to restriction and then that led to more binging. Um, and the only way to disrupt that cycle was to just view that as, you know, to view that with curiosity and compassion and to say, this is my response to something right now. I'm, you know, I'm allowed to binge eat. Like, it's okay. I'm not going to feel shame about it. This can happen. Um, you know, but why? Mm -hmm. And what are some other ways that, you know, what are some things that led me to this point? And what are some ways that I could, and I, and I, once I did that, I found out that a lot of the things that, that triggered it were, you know, diet culture talk or me thinking about wanting to be, th- it was, you know, every time I saw something of my body that I thought was unfavorable or when I was contemplating, um, you know, some sort of diet behavior, just kind of feeling it, you know, so I was really able to tie those together in a way that before it had seemed so random. And so, you know, just why me? Why this? Mm. I don't know. My body is not of me. It's just doing these things and I can't stop it. Um, because I was, I was coming from a place of shame rather than a place of genuine curiosity and compassion. And when I came from curiosity and compassion, I was able to say like, this is okay, but let's unpack it a little bit. Um, and that led me to, to really be able to, you know, do that less and less because, it was always like the sensation of hiding, hiding mm. something mm. Um, because I knew, you know, because it was just under these layers of shame. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I had so many thoughts from that. <laughs> I just keep, so I think one of the things that I wanted to mention too, is like when you're able to be present, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to binge eat because mm-hmm. we, when you binge, it's either, um, a way to numb something that has happened in the past or something you're feeling, or to like, you're worried about something in the future. And so all of these things. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're feeling this need to binge because we're wanting to numb or we're getting nervous about something or we're freaking out about something internally, just like breathe for a second, be within your body, take a second to like notice what's going on around you, like bring yourself to the present because in the present, 
we're not worried about the past or future. And those two places I think are where we can get hung up in our heads. So, yeah, I think that's a really great point. I think a lot of times I would, I would connect it later on to being like, I was really nervous about this or it would be times when like, I didn't want to go to the gym and I would like just binge eat and then go to, you know, as like a way to force myself to the gym. And so when I stopped having to, you know, when I stopped saying, going to the gym is an obligation. And I was, you know, I was able to step back and be like, hold on, are you trying to like, are you trying to like, are you doing this because you don't want to go to the gym and you know that this will force you to go to the gym, you know, because in which case, like, you don't remember, this is an option, Like, you don't have to go to the gym at all today. You know, like we can just sit in our bed and like drink some tea and, you know, um, yeah, I think that's a really great point about, about being present. And I think it's also important to say that like, I think part, you know, part of ironically, you know, what makes you, what helps you, um, you know, binge eat less is to, is to unpack the shame, like we said, and to just not demonize it and to say like, that's okay. That happens sometimes. Like that might still happen for me because yes, being present helps. But like, I'm not always able to be present. None of us are. It's important to recognize where it comes from and to know things that might help, you know, that make us feel better because it's not about ultimately it's not about the binging is bad or that eating all that food is bad. It's about, I don't like the way I feel, you know, it's about, I want to be present with people and not consumed by the food I'm going to eat later. You know, like I don't like the way it makes me feel and therefore it's something to tackle. Um, but it's also important to say like, that's probably something that I will do at some point, you know, the rest of my life, you know, like it's not, the point is not that it never happens again. The point is that, um, I mean, it does, happen less frequently, but that I'm able to respond in such a different way. And so it just doesn't consume me in the way that it used to. And of course it does happen less because it used to be, I mean, at first when I was coming out of restrictive eating, binge eating was like the way that my body was getting nutrients. I mean, and like, that's, that's something I have to recognize as part of my past that like, I probably wouldn't have been able to function on the level that I was able to function in high school had I not been binge eating ironically, you know, cause I thought it was like the thing holding me back. No, it was probably what kept my brain going because I would, you know, I was eating a lot at night at least, even if I wasn't during the day. And so, and then as I've kind of been able, now I, I eat whatever I want during the day and I'm very, you know, so now it doesn't come now it's kind of shifted its role. And so it, it happens less because it's not a way for my body. To, you know, my body isn't searching for, for fuel because yeah. that, it's, funny so then it happens less frequently than that but I think it also there's something to be said for you know that is a, a coping mechanism that's hardwired into my brain because I did it for so many years mm-hmm. um so even though it's not I'm not binging because of like the original reasoning which was my body desperately needs fuel um I still have to recognize that like that was a coping mechanism that helped me for many years and so it's not just gonna like float away peacefully into the night like you know, it might stick with me for a while and that's okay. You know, because I don't freak out about the fact that that is occasionally something that I'll do. It's okay. Like I can just live my life and it's not something to worry about. And and again, that goes back to like, because I'm not worried about the way that my body looks or changes, ultimately it's very benign, you know? Well, I think my favorite line too, is like, we can't shame our way into healing. And so if we do something, if we do something that like, maybe would create the shame. It's like, we have to remember, this is just information. 
why did I do it's like that's where the curiosity piece comes in but if we're like oh why did I do that I suck like the that language and that that's is not going to lead you to where you want to be going everything in life has to be information and I think it's also really important to understand too that we have we can take responsibility for every we have to take responsibility we're the only people to take responsibility for our actions for our feelings for our emotions everything like when we have this whole life is happening to me, I'm a victim mentality. It doesn't create this space for us to learn, grow and evolve because in the end, we have to take responsibility for who we are as humans and Mm -hmm. that we can make these positive changes, but it cannot come from a place of shame because otherwise it does not work. And so being okay, knowing that these things are going to happen in the future makes everything so much better like it just can't come from shame. It's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I could, I really like that. Line. It's something I use a lot because shame is, I think, especially for us coming from the eating disorder past, it's real like shame is such a common feeling for yeah. us. I think. I think about that a lot. Like you, what you said with information with intuitive eating too, mm-hmm. how I think, you know, I think, people can be really quick to dive into intuitive eating from a diet perspective and turn it into like the hunger fullness diet. Like I have to eat when I'm hungry. I have to stop as soon as I'm full, you know, and that's not, that's not helpful. That's not intuitive eating or, you know, the, I choose pizza sometimes, but I'm equally compelled to eat a salad the next time because balance, you know, mm-hmm. like it has to be full. Like uh, no intuitive really just listening to your body and doing your best to feed it and recognizing like there are limits like you know last week I'm trying to remember where I was oh, I was like flying somewhere and like I was stuck with just like a bunch of bags of like chips and some sausages that was my dinner okay like that's fine that was intuitive you know it was what was available and I ate until I was sick of it you know um I think it, I think it can be hard to get intuitive eating right when you're coming from a diet pass because again there's a tendency to view that information from your body and to really get down on yourself for it and to turn into shame and intuitive eating is recognizing that like the cues from our body are information um they're not for us to turn into some like i'm bad i'm good or this means i can't be trusted with pizza or like whatever it's just information you know unbiased like if i eat this much i feel kind of sick and with that information, I am totally okay. Like I can discard that information and not use it the next time. You know, it's just information, you know, and I can use it to my advantage. I can choose to ignore it. And that's just as valid of a choice as choosing to use it. Like there's no morality anywhere, you know, in intuitive eating, there's no good, bad judgments. There's no whatever. Um, I think that's so important um, because you can't apply a diet framework to intuitive eating and it's hard to transition to that space when you're coming from a place of rules. Um, It's very easy to try to turn intuitive eating into the space with rules or into the space with shame. And it's just not, I mean, if you bring shame, if you bring rules into intuitive eating, you're not practicing intuitive eating. Right. Um, So I I just really like that concept of just, you know, it's just information. Yeah. And I think information about, you know, how our country has failed in the past or like ways that are not advantageous to interfere in other countries. And we discard it all the time to our peril, probably. But like, you know, where these aren't rules, they're things that we learn and know about ourselves. 
And the more we, you know, I'm someone who has to experience something in order to accept it. You know, if someone tells me, if you do this, you won't feel, okay, I don't care. I have to do it myself. (laughs) Um, So for me, a lot of the process is just kind of ignoring the information and then, okay. And then at some point you have enough of a stockpile of information. You're like, okay, like, you know, all right. (laughs) Yeah. I think too, it, a lot of people are afraid of intuitive eating because they think, you know, they still have the shame. There's still this rule book in their head and they don't trust their body. They haven't established that connection, that acceptance, that trust. And so I think it's just a matter of being patient with yourself, trying to remove the shame as much as possible. And maybe it's, it is sitting with yourself in front of the mirror and just being with your body and learning that like, just creating this whole new relationship and that will eventually turn into this place of intuitive eating where you don't think about food anymore. You don't think about exercise anymore. It's purely from that intuitive place where you're listening to the signs and cues from your body. But I think these things need to happen first or like you just, it has to, has to come from a place of no shame and just experimentation and curiosity in order for you to get to this place of like, complete intuitive where you're listening to everything. So it's, I I encourage people to be patient. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, and I really like that idea of like not thinking that much because that's, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head. It's when you're doing this, when you're doing this, you know, right for your body, like you don't, that's kind of, that was a big revelation to me too. Cause I'd spent so much time, you know, planning meals and planning workouts and whatever. And the truth is that you really don't have to think about it. I mean, you you know, if you want to go plan a workout because that sounds like fun to you, by all means, go for it. But when you're eating intuitively, I mean, it was funny because I used to, there's just little tweaks in my behavior that I'll notice. Like, I used to just carry snacks with me all the time because um, I was afraid, you know, because there were so many things that I didn't want to eat that I thought weren't healthy. So I had to have like my safe alternatives in my bag. And I, just, I never think about it because I don't wake up hungry because I eat and then I just assume wherever I am when I'm hungry, I mean, and also, you know, I live on a campus where there's food all around, you know, I wouldn't do this if I was going on a hike or something, but, um, you know, whenever I'm hungry, I can just walk in somewhere and I'll find something that sounds good. And I'm not stressed about it. I'm not yeah. like, I have to make sure I have these snacks just to make, you know, and I have my bases covered and, you know, sometimes I'll forget a lunch and I'm like, oh, okay. But there's the KFC over there. Like, I'll just, you know, it's it just... And so I spend much less time thinking about food and, and it's just interesting, all these little behaviors that I didn't really key in to my disorder. I didn't really recognize were symptoms of me having issues with food. I now recognize, oh yeah, like the reason I obsessively needed to carry snacks with me everywhere was because I was afraid of eating a lot of things or yeah. the reason I felt so, I was thinking about this the other day, I went to the grocery store and I used to feel just so overstimulated at grocery stores. Like I would just feel like, Oh my God, you know, it would be great. Like, and I would walk down every aisle and just look at all the foods and be like, whoa, like there's so many foods. Like, you know, this is, it was, it was just such, so stimulating. And I could just walk into a grocery store and I'm like, nah. you know, and I would, I would feel like in the past, it would be like, I need to buy everything. And I would, I would just spend all this time agonizing over like, do I buy this cereal or this cereal, you know? And I would like walk in and like, things just don't appeal to me the same way. You know, yeah. I can walk through the aisles and be like, uh, like nothing here looks good. This, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, such a different experience because my brain is no longer like starved either like of fuel or starved because for so long after I was, you know, when I was eating quote unquote, I was eating quote unquote enough, but I wasn't allowing myself the variety of foods. Yeah. You know, I wasn't allowing myself to eat anything. I was eating calorically enough that I was 
satiated. But my mind was like, I'm so sick of these 10 foods. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. Um, and so it's just such a different experience now to be around other foods. And now I'm, you know, like someone brought in donuts the other day at work and I was like, I like had half a donut and then I just forgot about the other half. Of yeah. The donut. And I was like, that is weird. <laughs> like what? I never thought I could get to that point. Yeah. It would be, and this is, yeah. And I want to be clear. Like, this is not like some accomplishment. Like I'm not like, yeah. Oh, I'm so proud of myself that I can ignore a donut. Like, no, I really don't care. At, you know, at the end of the day, I could have gone back and eaten the donut it would have been the same to me, but it yep. is interesting, you know, that, right. That I could, I thought I was, I thought those people were just like a species of people, you know, <laughs> forgot about cupcakes. Like yeah. who are these people? Where did they come from? How were they raised? Like, yeah. you know, I'm not yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And I think it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not about like, Oh, I'm so proud of myself for not eating the donut. It's, I think it's yeah. more of like, Oh wow. I didn't even really like like I would have obsessed and thought and like my brain would have been taken up by that donut all fucking day until they were gone. And I was like, Oh good. Okay. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like now it's, it's like people bring in like snacks and stuff like that all of the time at work. And I like, I'm like, huh, I don't, I don't think I want that. And then I totally forget about it. And, or right. like, or you eat the donut and you totally forget about it. It's not one of these exactly. things that like you com- you obsess over for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Right. Or in the past, it's like the, yeah, exactly. Like you said, the donut would have been taking my whole brain, even after, after I ate it, then yep. the brain would be yep. full of donut guilt. And it was yep. just, you know, lose, lose situation. Yeah. I think it is so interesting to me now how I can just, there, it's, it's, it's things that I didn't recognize were signs of deprivation until yeah. later, you know, the sign of deprivation is that you're so overstimulated by everything that you see at the grocery store or that you can't let off your mind, you know, treats that are brought in at work. Um, you know, that you have to go around everywhere with snacks because you're afraid you won't be, you know, those are things that I just, I didn't really recognize, you know, I didn't really think that they were part of, um, the relationship, the issues that I had with food. And now I realize they are. That's really interesting. Well, I have one final point before we, I always say these, these times, this time goes so fast and I get so excited because these are the conversations that light me up. But one final point too, that I want to make is our, like, I think a lot of people too will think about exercise and like doing these things. Like, well, I feel better when I do these things or these things make me happy. Sure. That's absolutely true. Like I know when I go outside, I feel more fulfilled and all this kind of stuff. But I think the other thing to remember too, is that we can meet all of our needs internally and we don't have to do anything externally to make us happy. It's like, we have all the tools that we need internally. So it's like, I think I've been able to make peace with like, like this week I hardly exercised at all. And in the past that would have consumed my brain, but now it's just like, well, I didn't feel like it or I didn't feel the need to have to do that. And it's just, we can be happy without having to do something. <laughs> I don't know. I think, really, yeah, I think that's really important. I think it was an, an interesting transition for me because, you know, first it was the, I have to exercise because I want to maintain my weight or lose weight. Mm-hmm. And then it I exercise because I have an anxious brain and it helps mm. me like leave my anxiety. And, and that's a valid, I mean, that's a very valid reason to exercise, but I think it was a couple of days ago, I, I realized, you know, I was having like an anxious moment. And so of course my immediate reaction is, okay, I need to go work out. Mm. And then I thought about it. I, was like, I don't want to work out. I don't want to go to, like, I just, I do not feel like it for whatever reason today. And I was like, you know what I need 
is to read a book for fun in my bed and just like wear a big comfy shirt and just like read for pleasure. Um, and that was also, that was a great way of relieving my anxiety. And I realized I hadn't really thought of that before because my, my gut reaction was, okay, you feel anxious, go exercise, you know? Um, and exercise can be, it is an important part of that toolkit of coping mechanisms, but it's not the only one. And that was an interesting experience for me. Um, you know, it's something I'm still working with to be like, okay, I feel anxious or I feel X feeling that exercise usually relieves, but what are my other options? Because it doesn't have to be, you know, exercise. It can be, you know, baking something. It can be, you know, lying in my bed, watching a show, you know, whatever. So you can also just sit with the anxiety. Like it Uh, gets to be uh, there. You don't have, my first reaction is how do I get rid of this? But it's like, I can just sit with it and let it process and let it go. And it's like, we don't have to do something like exercise to relieve those feelings or to like, I would always do it to forget it. So it was like, no, I can just sit with this and just let it be here. And like, that was another huge realization too. Like, like you said, like exercise does not have to be my end all be all for relieving something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially if you've had a disordered relationship with exercise in the past, it's important that it, you take some time off and so that it isn't your go-to coping yes. mechanism. Um, that's something I wish I would have done a lot sooner, you know, um, because you're going to stick. If you still have some compulsion around exercise, you're going to keep using it. You're just going to create a new mental justification for yeah. it, but you're going to be using it as your primary and all be all coping, you know, way to deal with your, with your symptoms or with whatever you're feeling but in, you know, in your life, you're not going to always have that as an option. You might be anxious on a plane. You might be just during a meeting, like you might be, you know, whatever. And you need to be able to have other ways of dealing with those things that aren't just get to the gym, you know, or right. go on a run. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we've reached the end of the, I know. Um, is there anything, I have two questions. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we end our time? And then also, where can people find you if they want to connect? Um, wow, there are so many things that are still like we could just talk about. Power. <laughs> we'll have to do a round two episode. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the big thing for me, um, I guess one last thing I'd want to say is even if you've never had an eating disorder or you've never considered yourself as someone who um who has these issues, we all live in diet culture. We all live um, constantly taking in negative messages about how we should feel about our bodies, about um, the way we move, et cetera. And I just want to say that like, you don't have to feel bad about yourself for eating food. You don't have to have your choices constrained. You don't have to think that you can only wear certain things. Like even if it's not, it's never reached a point where you've had to have you know, some sort of medical intervention or that you've been for, you know, had some formal diagnosis. I think it's important to realize that we all live in a culture that breeds, you know, that tells us to have an unhealthy relationship with our bodies so that they can sell us stuff and profit off of our, you know, reduced self-esteem. And there's a, you know, there's a way to feel so much better. And if you undertake that work, I know it's, it's hard sometimes to want to start that project because you think, well, I exist at the same kind of level as everyone else in society right now in terms of these things. And, you know, why, why would I go undertake all of this work um, and all of this 
processing um, when it looks like my life is just fine. Um, and I would just say there's, there's just so much that you can't see, I think, when you're living um, in diet culture and not challenging it. And there's so much more that you could be living. There's so much more space you could occupy um, just as a person in this world. And it makes me really sad. Um, it's almost like when, when people are recovering from an eating disorder, they're kind of forced to, to take on some of that. But it makes me really sad that there are so many people who will never reach that point of which they're forced to grapple with those things, but they'll just keep living their life in a way that it's not as full as it could be. You know, it's not as um, true to themselves. Um, their life isn't as as much an expression of their being and their essence as it could be. Um, and so... I would just, I just want to encourage people to take on the work because I think it's so worth it. So I think that's beautiful. I hundred percent agree. There's just so much more you can be. Yeah. And you can find me on Instagram (laughs) to that question. Yes. I'll make sure. So yes, I'll make sure all of that is linked up in the show notes and yeah, go check her out on Instagram. You have some, some really good stuff that I think helps people feel way less alone because you are true and vulnerable on there. And I appreciate that. (laughs) I am vulnerable on there. (laughs) It's good. It's needed. I always encourage it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Fortunately, I have a great group of people with me on there. So they're all kind of helping me occupy that space. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think I like breaking down the nitty gritty of things because I think sometimes when you when you speak in kind of vague platitudes about recovery, it's, you don't, you know, it's hard to get people, you don't necessarily identify with that or you don't feel like your personal experience, like someone else has had it. And for me, part of the the account has really been trying to really articulate what those difficult moments or thoughts or uncomfortable feelings were, you know, in very explicit terms, because I want other people to know that like, they're not alone, that that's not just them and their head thing. Totally. Anyway, it was so great talking to you. (laughs) It was so good to connect with you. Thank you so much for your time and for holding space for this conversation. And I just appreciate this time so much. And thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great. It was great to chat. And um, yeah, I'll be seeing you online as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, thanks everyone for being here. And we will all chat soon. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.